Today, Dr. Patrick will be speaking on welcoming the spirit of Christmas. On behalf of our spiritual community, we extend a warm welcome to our first-time visitors and to all of the participants in this morning's celebration. Now please join us for 30 seconds as we ground ourselves in silence. Quite enough love for all the world, and in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world, and there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear. Spirit, one spirit is in this very room, in this very room, in this very So I invite you to notice in this moment the chair that you sit upon, how you are supported, resting your back, your lungs taking in just the right amount of air to sustain you, feel your heartbeat. So what I know in this slowing down and bringing ourselves to present moment awareness is that there's an activity that is alive within each and every one of us that we are immersed in. It is a indicator of that presence, that vibration, the presence of the Christ, the Buddha nature, that unseen force for good. And as we dwell upon it, as we proclaim ourselves willing to be more available to it intuitively and physically and spiritually, willingness is worthiness. And so as we expand in that worthiness, that we continue to be transformed. And so I'm grateful to know that each and every one of us is guided in this moment in the right and perfect next awareness, the next step, the next thought, the next activity that guides us, leads us, and directs us into a richer and more full expression of our divine truth, our divine nature. I know that this gathering today that for all of us in our 
willingness to be shifted and changed and to be about the business that is at hand for each and every one of us in the most productive way possible, I give thanks. Knowing that God is present here and now because you and I are present here and now in this form, our opportunity to create, to choose, and to give birth to newness as we put down with great love that which is no longer necessary on our journey. I release these words in gratitude and appreciation for the vibration of the Most High that has been generated here collectively by the, the consciousness, by you simply showing up and proclaiming yourself willing. All of us become more worthy. For this I give thanks. Releasing these words, I invite you to say with me, and so it is. Right, so it's we're we're coming into the Christmas season. It's always interesting for me to to uh, look at this because you know it's it's um, many times people will say, well, are you are you Christian? And and Dr. Holmes was tremendously influenced, our founder of uh, the science of mind teaching and the religious science philosophy, uh, tremendously influenced by Christianity. So he had two books in his home, and one he read repeatedly was the Bible. And if you look at our textbook, about a third of it is devoted to the life of, of Christ and the teachings of Jesus. And so I wanted to touch upon the five faces of Christ this week with you because it sets up, I think, a perspective and, and going into the season of how we, how we look at that and how others look at it. Because there's, there's, um, there's qualities and, and uh, characteristics about perception that color everyone's experience. That's why everyone seems to do this whole thing differently or, or their form of worship or their form of, of connection or their form of celebrating uh, Christmas. So this month is uh, in December, we're talking about loving thy neighbor, which is a part of a spiritual practice. Our neighbors are always want those that come along in our lives that tempt us not to love them. Anybody have a neighbor like that? that... But they really are there uh, to help us uh, grow and deepen and to be transformed. And so when our neighbors show up, it's very, it's very common to uh, have an experience that is unpleasant and then all of a sudden that becomes our activity of judging and blaming and shaming and, and scheming and all the things that can go on with that. And I think all of us have probably experienced that at, to some degree. But our neighbors are really there by right of consciousness. And so in the, there's five faces of Christ, and this information is inspired by the work of uh, Reverend, soon-to-be Dr. Marcia Sutton, and Reverend Lloyd Strom from the, the co-creation material. But the five faces of Christ, the first one is prophecy, and I'm going to focus on that today, because, uh, and, and what this comes from, and what the perspective is on, on the, the, the Christ consciousness. The next one is Jesus Christ as a person because about 2,000 years ago, somebody showed up on the planet and proclaimed himself to be um, in, in, in unbroken connection with spirit and did some amazing things. Also said that these things I have done, ye shall do an even greater. Became not the great exception, but the great example. But for many people, because that task of embodying that and stepping into that responsibility, it's been much easier to say that that was the great exception. And so... Rather than rise to that opportunity, many people simply uh, create separation between themselves and that, what that uh, consciousness represented. The third one is Jesus Christ as a principle. So the ones were established in a principle, an understanding of the, of the cosmic Christ, of what that looks like. The Apostle Paul was the first man that ever wrote from the Christ consciousness, the cosmic Christ. 
never met Jesus, but wrote about him and from that. And so that's why Paul's writings are so prolific and have, have sort of sustained the, the, the test of time. So there's, there's principles like Archimedes' principle or Einstein's theory of relativity is a principle that we understand as a scientific principle that we, we sort of um, have incorporated into our knowledge as something that's consistent and solid. And this, this Christ principle is also part of our culture. The fourth one is Christ as a presence. So every principle in life is experienced as a presence. So gravity is a principle. And, it, and, and gravity can be mathematically described. Yet every human being experiences gravity as an indivis, invisible presence that is always acting upon them, or whether we understand the principle or not. And what Holmes would say about it is that Christ consciousness is available to everyone, every person, the Christ experience, whether we're aware of it or not. And so as we deepen in our spiritual practice and knowing, it becomes our, our lives are, are shifted and changed. And the, the last one is Jesus Christ as a power, the availability to bring about change. So what we talk about is we're never stuck, that all of us have this opportunity to choose, to have our consciousness uh, shifted and changed. And so all of these are really interesting perspectives because if we look out in the world, there's a, the Christmas time is a, it can be a tremendous period of sentimentality around Christmas. You know, there's a lot of memories that we all have. It's, uh, um, you know, and a lot of discussion about the baby Jesus. I had to go Google it between services. I couldn't remember the movie, but it was Talladega Nights with Will uh, Farrell, uh, where he was always talking about the baby Jesus. Remember that? He never wanted to talk about the grown-up Jesus. It was always the baby Jesus. And I always thought that was an interesting uh, take on this relationship with this, this idea this presence, but that's truly the person. So it's easy to slip into that, you know, the birth of the, the Christ and the, and the manger and all those stories and the mythology that's, been, that's cropped up around that. And it's just become part of our culture, part of our DNA. But to, to simply enjoy it at that level, I think, is, is uh, somewhat limiting, and, and we may be missing some of the richness of it that, that is available to us. So we have these five faces of Christ, and over the next few weeks, as we move into the Christmas season, we're going we're gonna, to uh, discuss those. But I wanted to focus a little bit today on intuition, because intuition is, uh, with prophecy, is such a great example of what we teach as a, as a tribe, as a community of people that are involved with a new thought process, this, this idea that... Not only is there a, a presence of an unseen force like gravity that we would call the Christ principle, but it's available to all of us. And so the more we get attached to that or connected to that or have more experiences with it, our lives continue to be shifted and changed. So the, there's a picture of uh, the prophecy up here, and then there's a picture of one of the prophets, and that is Michelangelo's rendition of Isaiah. Isaiah was one of the, the Jewish prophets that talked about the coming of the Messiah. And what the Jewish community did was for years and years and years, they kept alive this idea of prophecy. The idea of prophecy came from intuition. So in their prayer, in their daily devotion, this idea, this, this nudging, this clue that there's something more to be experienced, there's something that is longing to be expressed but at the time in the level of consciousness that was, was capturing that intuition, it was very difficult for them to realize that what they were looking for, the Messiah, they were actually looking with. It hadn't awoken yet. 
And so what the birth of the Christ represents is the awakening for all individuals to understand it's not just, it's not out there, it is in fact within. But Isaiah and all the prophets kept prophesizing this Messiah. And then of course, when the consciousness was right, there was an opening created to give birth to that. There were a number of people alive at that time that said, well, that's not it. That's just Joseph's kid. He's the carpenter's son over there. He's straightening nails out and cutting wood with his dad or whatever you know, they did at that time as tradespeople. So, you know, it didn't fit the perception of what the, for many was the expectation. And yet, what we can look over history and realize that the, the significance of that birth shifted and changed the whole trajectory of the planet. Because his whole message was about love. And you see it throughout the, the, the amazing stories he told. He was always telling stories so people could remember what he was teaching. But first and foremost, it came through intuition. And Dr. Holmes, the next slide, Dr. Holmes, Ernest Holmes, our founder, said this, right here through our own nature, through our own nature, is the gateway and the path which leads to illumination, to realization, to inspiration, to the intuitive perception, to everything. To the intuitive perception of everything. And so Holmes talked about this. On the next slide, he, he continues. He says that intuition is the highest faculty in humanity. The highest faculty in man is intuition, and it comes to a point sometimes where, with no process of reasoning at all, we instantly know. And so I think I'm, you know, I'm preaching to the choir on this, but it's that, it's that instantaneous understanding without having to do any deductive reasoning. We know what we know. We can become certain of it. We can stand in that faith. And this is what was going on with the prophets, the ancient prophets. They knew, and so isn't it interesting, the question arises then, so was this preordained, or was it because these people came together and understood there's something more available? There's something more that wants to happen. And so they started to craft a story around it, and they started to build a consciousness and an expectancy around it, which created the space for the thing itself to take form. You see, to look at it from that perspective, rather than to realize that, you know, this white, old, bearded man called his, you know, Jesus was out playing baseball in the, in the, with his buddies and said, come on in here, I'm going to send you to earth and you're going to go down and save humanity. But in fact, it was really about a group of people coming together, holding a vision and a possibility and nurturing that over time, nurturing the consciousness to give birth to a different experience, which is that once he showed up, it didn't match because... He wasn't even the imagination or possibility of what the consciousness was at that time. They were looking for an earthly king that would dominate and everything would be just and fair and on and on and on. And as he said, my kingdom is not upon this, the face of the earth, but heaven is upon the face of the earth and you do not see it. But fascinating stuff because he came along and for many people he was talking in riddles. What's this guy talking about? You know, those that see me see the father. What do you mean? Joseph's over there and you're here. What are you talking about? I mean, that would be the little, literal interpretation, wouldn't it? It's not I, but the Father within. You know, let's peek into Jesus' belly button and see if Joseph is peeking out. I mean, what does that all mean? So we don't interpret it literally. He was talking in metaphor. He was talking in, in uh, at, at exalted language. But, it, but see, so what I, what I love about this is that, is that it's a perfect example of what all great metaphysical and all great spiritual teachers have talked about, that... It, the thing itself shows up when the consciousness of the thing has been established. I mean, that's what we teach. 
So our opportunity, not our burden, not our responsibility, because we're doing it anyway. We're thinking all the time. We're always planting seeds. We're always seeding something. But in fact, our opportunity to become more aware and more mindful so that what we seed is, is intentional and we understand what I'm experiencing in my life may be uncomfortable, it may not be what I want. So it's my opportunity to look at that and to dismantle that so that I can start to seed something new within my life and then go to be about the business of that. So here's a whole culture, a whole tribe that said, we know that there's something grander that is seeking expression. We know that there's a possibility and so that story, that intuition got crafted into a message that someone's going to come and save us. When in fact, as we know, no one can do that. We must do it for ourselves. But it's a reflection of the consciousness. And many people still believe this. And it's okay. It's, I'm not trying to burn anybody down. But I'm just saying that to look at it that way is a limitation. And it's also abdicating opportunity. So we have intuition. Then we have this idea of God-man. So not only is this person going to, well, this person is going to show up and it's going to save us all, but it is, he's going to be in, in human form um, and he'll also be a god. And we see that throughout mythology. I mean, the Greeks and the Romans wrote about that. Ancient mythology and all of the, you know, the, all the, the various gods would take form. They'd go back and forth between the heavens and earth to try and put some context to this. And so the Jews were carrying that forward as well, that there's this, this god-man that is going to show up. So in the idea of the God-man, Dr. Holmes would say this, the more exalted, the more heavenly, the more boundless, the more godlike or Christ-like the thought is, the more power it will have. Holmes used to say to learn how to think is to learn how to live. He used to say that eventually one day our conversations will all be in heaven. But the challenge is for many of us is we have experiences. We have, we, have, uh, we have interactions, we have disappointments, and we have joys. And we can become hypnotized by the form. We can look out at the world and go, there's, there's the world. That's the world right out there. And it's easy to do that. But we fall asleep in it. Last night, I, I, two, two times in the last six weeks, I usually don't do anything on a Saturday, especially a Saturday night, I've been out a couple times. Don't tell anybody. I don't like doing that because I like to, Saturday night is my time to, to really uh, spend time. So prepared much earlier than I normally do. But I went to a, uh, the Wayne Lee hypnosis show. And Wayne's a member of our community and he's a great friend and been very generous. And he's done a lot of, 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 of shows for us. And if you don't know Wayne, he's a, he's a local celebrity all the way from high level to high river. He's world famous. And... Uh, he does a wonderful hypnosis show, and, and it was his X-rated show. Now, Wayne has never done his X-rated show for us, and I've, uh, when he does his show here, it's pretty PG-rated. But I want you to know that I was there, and I didn't see any of you there, which made me feel really good, and I took the blow for everybody. So, But what I'm getting at is it's, you know, this idea of getting, falling asleep or becoming hypnotized. And what it requires when he brings people up, he can tell if you can relax and if he's going to be able to, to um, influence you into behaviors that you wouldn't normally do. But what he does is he gives people permission. And, uh, and so it's just fascinating to watch. But how many of us become hypnotized in the world? We look, and this is, this is the big, one of the biggest challenges for us, to break out of those those patterns and ways of thinking and being that keep creating the same experience over and over and over again. 
So, but I think our tendency at times is to just simply fall asleep in the status quo. As I said last week, the brain has two, the brain has two patterns. One is the status quo. I've always done it that way. It feels comfortable to me. And the other is the emergency break. So as soon as we get the, a new idea in mind and we start to work the new idea and work the new idea and we're all excited and life's going to be better than it's ever been before and all of a sudden we start to challenge the status quo and then the emergency break gets pulled. Wait a minute. I, I, I was shared at the first service that uh, I spent, I, I made a declaration two weeks ago on Prosperity Plus 2 that, I, that I'm going to have a new uh, practice in my life. And part of that practice is for me to stop doing all the repairs. I'm going to put down my carpenter tools, and you know we've, I've had this discussion many times. This is one of my in, this is one of my embodied beliefs. So I made the de- declaration two weeks ago, and this week I spent four and a half days fixing stuff. <laughs> and I went home, and I you know because when it, when I was back in it again, I'm like, oh, here we go again, you know. And then I realized, isn't this interesting? And what I realized was is that that embodied belief I had is so strong that and so. The story I'm telling myself about this now, the prophecy about this now is that when I start to make the intention, set the intention, and it gets more thick and more heavy and more difficult to move out of just before it ends, just before it's over, it gets worse. And I thought, wow, this is great stuff. I went home and I told Laura, this is great. It's coming to an end. I can tell because I can't, I can't do much more than I'm already doing. And I've already made the agreement to put it down. So it's going to be a gradual unraveling for me. But I'm not going to give up on it. Because I could say, well, it's never going to work. It's just who I am. I'm always going to be stuck doing this, operating this way. And that's just lack. That's just agreement with lack and struggle. But I, just, I, I share that with you because many times when we start a new trajectory, and for me, that's the emergency break. Oh, I'm going to break out of the status quo. I'm going to free myself up to do some other things that I think are, are more inspiring and, and, and uh, that bring me to life and I think can add a bit more value to the world. And yet what happens is the status quo of my being says, oh, we don't want to do that. That's going to be uncomfortable. There'll be all those unknowns. You're going to have to do new things. You're going to have to meet new people. You're going to have to go new places. It's like, who wants to do that? But that's how we're hardwired. So we look out in the world and that reinforces it. You know, don't move away from that which is... You know, never limit your great by your good. You know, sometimes we fall asleep in the good. I watch people come in and they're in pain and pain and pain and all of a sudden the pain ends. They're like, oh my gosh, do you know that, that, that I am caused to my own experience? I go, yeah, I know, isn't that amazing? It's incredible, what good news. And that I can change my experience by changing my conscience? I know. You know, I love it when a guest speaker comes and, and, and I'll come back and somebody say, you know what, it was great. So-and-so was here last week and they, you know what they said? And I said, you know what? I'm caused in my own experience. How about that? I got to talk about that one, one week. But sometimes the messenger has to change. I get that. I'm not, but it's just always amazing to me. It was incredible. You know, told me if I do an affirmative prayer, I can change conditions in my life. It was amazing. Wow, that's a new idea. Yeah. So we have this intuition, we have this idea of God-man, and then we have this idea of the chosen people. So the chosen people, as the Jews have, have called themselves, the chosen people, what they were chosen for was to carry forth this idea. There was a group of people that came together and it became such a rich idea in their culture and it grew stronger and stronger and stronger. So we are a chosen group of people. New thought people 
cultural creatives, people that don't feel that they're completely stuck in their lives, we represent a tribe. And Dr. Holmes wrote this, and I, and I really appreciate what he had to say. He said, we, look at poverty degrada- we have looked at poverty, degradation, and misery until they have assumed gigantic proportions. Read a newspaper, watch the news, listen to our friends. Now we must look at harmony, happiness, plenty, prosperity, peace, and right action until they appear. But there is prophecy. This is how prophecy works. What we dwell upon, we become. And eventually we give birth to it, but it takes time. And if we continue to fall asleep in the conditions of the world, of the degradation, poverty, and misery, there's no opportunity for anything else to show up. So part of the the mental and spiritual and and emotional um, strength and depth it requires is to continue to nurture the prophecy and say, you know what's being given birth here? What we stand for as a group is to give birth to a world that that works for everyone, where resources and, and, and education and creativity and opportunity are available to everyone, and that war is no longer a way of, of, of uh, being in relationship with one another. All of these ideas that seem so big and so far-fetched that evil, you know, the only reason Holmes says in the textbook, the only reason evil exists is because people still continue to believe in evil and, and practice it. So we see those things, and it's, there's such a tendency to pull ourselves out of this awareness. And that's, I think that is serious, deep practice. Dramatic change. What, what is my understanding over the, the time I've been on this path is dramatic change is a result of what happens on the inside of us. And we know that. It is a transformation inside of us. It is the accumulation. We have these life experiences of skills and experiences. We accumulate those things as we go along. And if we realize they're all here to inform us, then how can any of it be bad? Even the stuff that feels bad. Because how can our eternal souls that go on and on forever be diminished? Other than the fact that we will agree that they are. So it's, and I'm not saying be oblivious to it, but I'm realizing that when the winds of change come along, to be able to stand in that, in that, that gale force wind at times and realize this too shall pass. This too has come to shape me. Because it happens on the inside, and it's incremental improvement. It's bit by bit by bit. It is, and it also uh, creates within us this ability to withstand criticism. The tendency with the world is to fixate on on our neighbors, on comparison, on money, on on status, on relationships, to look out there and all of a sudden realize, wow, there's something going on there that I don't have and and for whatever, and then we we create a value about ourselves with that, or envy or judgment or shame or whatever it may be, when to be able to stand it and realize, wow, that's going on over there. You know, when people confront us with an idea that doesn't represent us, to have the ability and the grounding in our own truth of being to simply say, this doesn't represent me. I do not agree with this. And we don't have to say it out loud even. We just don't have to energetically join them. It is those small internal bits and pieces of change that I think lead us to a a, a transformation. And I think for most of us, my experience has been most of this is done through our work. Most of us spend time at work. And it is in the bits and pieces of how we 
we show up and work. Now, we can go off on a weekend and we can have an amazing experience and all this new information, but it is in the bits and pieces of the, the day-to-day process where I believe that it can become so impactful. One of the things we know now is 10 minutes of meditation a day. 10 minutes will help shift and change the consciousness. That's all it takes. 10 minutes of some meditation form. This whole science of heart math or, or grounding ourselves in the heart energy, so powerful. The, the heart has 40,000 times more intelligence than, than the, our, our rational minds. And our rational minds, their function is status quo, emergency brake. But isn't it great to know that? That when we're pulling on the emergency brake, it's just, oh, that's my rational mind. I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna move my energy down into my heart and see what my heart says. So then I can, like Isaiah did, tap into my intuition. And then the information and the, what I'm guided to and, 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 and partnering with that divine intelligence. You know, I always see pictures. My mom used to have a picture of Jesus on the wall and it always had his heart like right outside of you. Ever seen that one? We had that. We had a crucifix. We had all the stuff. And, uh, but it always, his heart was always open. That's a sacred heart. It's the same idea and, and he understood that. So it's, it's understanding that each day and each practice is what are we seeding? Are we seeding the love and the harmony and the balance and the joy and the peace? Or are we being pulled out of it consistently because the world is, t- is telling us otherwise? He said it. He said, be, be in the world but not of the world. In other words, be grounded in the world but don't let it t- take you in every direction. I mean, he had amazing, amazing uh, stories he told and metaphors he spoke in. I had a whole thing this morning about the prodigal son. I'm going to do that another week this month. But just such a powerful story. And Ernest Holmes goes through the whole uh, verse by verse explaining metaphysically what he was talking about. It's beautiful stuff. It's actually in the Science of Mind textbook too, what Jesus taught. It's right there. So the next picture. You may recognize this guy. I I was uh, traveling the other day. I had a young man in, in my vehicle. I was giving him a ride somewhere. And he got talking about his peers, and he said, oh, my peers. And this young guy's in his early 20s, and he's complaining about his, his fellow workers and how worthless they are and how they don't have a worth ethic, and on and on and on complaining. And so I'm driving along, and I'm just listening and listening. And, and uh, finally, he got exhausted, so I could ask him something. Because, you know, when you complain, you've got to stop and take a breath once in a while, and I waited about 10 minutes. and Just let him empty out, boom, boom, boom. And, you know, and, it, and when it came at me, I just rolled my window down. It was about minus 5 that day. It wasn't bad, and I just let it keep... Yes, pushing it out the window. No place for that to land here. I got it. I don't want to enjoy it. So I just stayed silent. And then I said, well, what do you want? And he thought for 10 seconds. He said, I want to save the world. I want to save the world. And I thought, isn't that so poignant? And look at all of the the superhero movies that we have. You know, I've never seen an X-Men movie. I just know that Hugh Jackman has these long, sharp blades for hands and you know, it's just not my cup of tea, but I, but, you know, there's Spider-Man, there's Superman, there's the Flash, there's the Incredible Hulk, I mean, you know, I, I had all those comics when I was a kid, and, but they're so celebrated, and I think what it does, it's our modern, uh, contemporary mythology for many, especially for young men, this idea that someone will come and save us, someone is going to show up who has incredible skills and talents and gifts and save us. So it's that longing. I mean, why would that be popular unless that idea were not alive in us? And, in, in it, and at the depths of our being, it is true. We are here. We are here to participate in the care and the nurturing of the earth. It's part of our DNA. It's the way we're wired. It's a beautiful thing. 
But for me, it makes perfect sense when they bring out another one. I got to go see you know, Superman 1, Superman 2, and all these things. You know, that he had these incredible, and yet there was a vulnerability, you know, kryptonite would get Superman. So I just think it speaks volumes to that, that longing within all of us, just as it did for the, the tribe of Israel, saying this, this Superman is coming, this God-man is coming, and he's going to help save us and change us. When in fact, what we know now is we're already here. That all of us have this capacity and this, and this opportunity to embody more of it. So when we get into the, the Christmas season, the birth of the Christ, it's not just the person, it's not just the baby Jesus, but to look back and realize that here's this whole tribe that held this vision of possibility and gave birth to it, that seeded this idea through the generations that it finally, t- it finally showed up. And when it showed up, it didn't look a lot like what they were talking about, but the, the, the consciousness had been created. And what a great example and inspiration for what consciousness are you and I seeding and nurturing so that something new and powerful can show up? I mean, and this is difficult, serious spiritual practice. What are we seeding in our garden of possibility? Do we really accept the fact that this, the Christ being born is an opportunity within me? And then when we say that, then what has to go that's in opposition to that? That's the challenge because, man, I got the, I got the status quo. I got the autopilot and I got the emergency brake. I got my hands busy with that. Plant a new seed, pull the brake. Plant a new seed, pull the brake. It's exhausting. So what I think is important for us to have is welcoming a perspective that there are never any wrong turns for any of us. Dr. Barker, Dr. Barnum uh, used to say, my teacher studied with Dr. Barnum and he was a teacher that taught most of the great ministers in Southern California and he used to say, we have, we have eternity and not one second to waste. And in other words, it's inevitable. Our journey's inevitable. We are loved beyond measure. We have never done anything wrong. And yet, and, and so we have all the time in the world, and yet this moment is precious. This life is valuable. And to make new choices here, to peel back those layers of the consciousness and awareness so that we can give birth to something new. But the only way that can happen is, is, is through us. So welcoming wrong turns and realizing nothing is wasted. Oh, I, had a, you know, I, I did this, I did this, I stayed in the marriage too long, I should have quit the job. No, 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 no. It's all consciousness being expressed. It, it widens our experience. Life just widens our experience. It's, it toughens us up. And so that we know that, that none of it is ever wasted. So how do we as a, as a community, how do, how do we as a movement um, nurture a prophecy through our intuition? And the wonderful thing is we have all kinds of great writings and, and, and the reflection of consciousness over, over the years. Dr. Holmes is here with us today. At the quantum level, I mean, and, and the, the, the Christ consciousness is with us today. The cosmic Christ is here because we're talking about it. And you're dwelling upon it and you're ruminating in it. And you're thinking, what is that? How does that land for me? In all of that, at that quantum level of experience, it's here now. We are immersed in the spirit of smoke. You know, and that's one of the things going to Abhijanya did for me. It was not the, so much of what I, I understood, now I got it. It's like, oh yeah, I understand that, I understand that, but all of a sudden, oh my gosh, I get this. I get this in my core and in my heart. Holmes said this, and this is from The Basic Ideas of the Science of Mind. It's a wonderful book, and it's in this section called Finances. So this is, this is a prophecy. This is an idea to nurture. 
to use, work with this prayer. Over the, read this once a day for the next year, and we'll see where we are in a year. It says, Father, I'm looking to you as senior partner in my business affairs for the guidance I need. I know that I am led to see and do what is right so that I am supplied with money for every good need. It's partnering with this infinite unseen presence, the presence just like gravity that exists and is there and always there nurturing, but we have to ask. I now declare that, that right contracts are established, right contacts are established, right influences are set in motion and right activities are started so that my abundance becomes manifest. I declare there is right action in regard to all my affairs. I know that the universe responds to my believing word and that right results and rewards are mine. I am guided so that I see the right people, say and do the right things, give the right kind of service, and make myself valuable to others. Money to meet my every good requirement is now mine. I live wholesomely and effectively and give generously. I know that abundant funds for doing so are now mine, and they come to me in exactly the right way. This endless flow, to declare an endless flow, to stand in that and establish that. Now, that's prophecy. That's an opportunity and a wonderful, rich idea to move into. I'm grateful for this abundant supply. I give sincere thanks for it. I have decreed it, and it is established unto me. I use it freely in the service of God and man, knowing that as it goes out in every way and in loving helpfulness to others, it is constantly being blessed. And that further funds will take its place as fast as needed. Now I go out and act accordingly. I express the attitude of abundance. I feel and look prosperous. I believe in my prosperity, and so I prosper. There's a beautiful prophecy. There's a prayer that came into Holmes' intuition that he wrote from to share part of his legacy. And so whatever we choose to dwell upon, we get to experience. And so today, what I invite you to do is just think about where you land in that. What are you seeding? What am I seeding that might be limiting, that might be really good, but it's limiting my great? As our ushers come forward today, I just want to plant those seeds with you that we are abundantly supplied if we choose to be so. And that as this beautiful declaration from Holmes talks about to know that as we give, that, that what, what we've given returns to us pressed down and overflowing. Let's stand in that consciousness together. Let's take a stand together to live in the, the, the bounty and the abundance in health and relationships and work and creative expression and financially to break through those barriers. That's part of this tribe. That is part of our prophecy that we share and giving birth to. So with that today, I invite you to give from that place of mindfulness. Thank you so much for your support. We bless this offering today. We bless the, the consciousness and the presence of Ernest Holmes that continues to guide us, direct us, inspire us, and resource us in so many ways. So grateful for the perspective of the five faces of Christ. From prophecy all the way to power. I give thanks in this moment for the blessings that this moment contains and I continue to expand as a result of that gratitude and appreciation. I invite you to say with me, and so it is.